Hello, and welcome to the Turbulent World of Middle East Soccer, or Middle East Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, James Dorsey. Abu Omar Khorasani was taken from Kabul's Puli Charki prison and unceremoniously shot. The first and only person to have been executed since the Taliban gained full control of Afghanistan on Sunday, Mr. Khorasani was the head of the Islamic State in South Asia until he was arrested by government forces last year. The precise circumstances of his execution are not known. His killing was, however, at least in part, designed to send a message to the international community, and particularly Afghanistan's neighbors, including China and Iran, as well as Russia, Central Asia's security overlord. The message was that the Taliban were cracking down on foreign jihadists and militants in Afghanistan. Mr. Khorasani was an easy symbol. The Taliban and the Islamic State, whose ranks of foreigners are primarily populated by Pakistanis and a sprinkling of Central Asians, Uyghurs, Russians, Turks, Iranians, Indonesians, Indians and Frenchmen, have long been at odds with one another. The Islamic State recently accused the Taliban of being more nationalist than pious in their negotiations with the United States. The Taliban message is a partial truth at best. What is true for the Islamic State is not true for Al-Qaeda and others such as the Uyghur Turkestan Islamic Party and the Islamic Movement of Uzbekistan. The Taliban appear to believe that they can get away with the differentiation because they perceive the United States as more focused in the withdrawal negotiations on ensuring that Al-Qaeda, the Islamic State and other militants will not be allowed to use Afghanistan as a base for international operations, rather than on getting them expelled from the country. The perceived U.S. focus may have been rooted in a concern that if Taliban's hands were forced, they would let militants slip out of the country and not hand them over to authorities. That would make it difficult to control their movements or ensure that they are either entered into deradicalization programs or, if warranted, brought to justice. It's a catch-22. The Taliban ensuring that Al-Qaeda sticks to rules risks putting a fox in charge of the chicken coop. How much better that is that having foxes run wild remains to be seen, said a retired counterterrorism official. Officials of the Trump administration that negotiated the agreement suggest that the continued presence of al-Qaeda and other militants in Afghanistan would violate the accord with the Taliban. Former Vice President Mike Pence, as well as Trump-era State Department counterterrorism coordinator Nathan Sales, argued that the deal required the Taliban to refuse terrorist safe harbor. Russia and China, while publicly more measured in their statements, are likely to share Western concerns. Russia held military drills earlier this month with Tajik and Uzbek troops in Tajikistan, 20 kilometers from the border with Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda may have been boosted in recent weeks by multiple prison breaks in which the Taliban freed operatives of Al-Qaeda and other militant groups. It remains clear, however, to what degree the breaks will help the groups 
strengthened their presence in Afghanistan. General Mark Milley, chairman of the U.S. Joint Chiefs of Staff, warned this week that Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State could quickly rebuild their networks in Afghanistan. Without information on who exactly escaped, it is difficult to determine whether historically significant figures remain within Al-Qaeda's AFPAC network, or if it's mainly composed of newer figures these days, whether local or regional foreign fighters, cautioned political violence scholar Aaron Zelin. Also unclear is whether Al-Qaeda operatives in Iran will be allowed to relocate to Afghanistan. The prison breaks further go to concerns about relying on the Taliban to police jihadists and other militants with aspirations beyond Afghanistan's borders. The balance of power between Taliban leaders, who in recent days have been eager to put a more moderate, accommodating foot forward with security guarantees for their opponents, minorities and women, and the group's far-flung rank and file has yet to be determined. The concern about the Taliban's ability and willingness to control militant activity on Afghan soil is magnified by worry regarding the continued existence of warlords with the power to organize violence, provide jobs and public services, and forge or strengthen ties with other militants. Warlords will play an active role in the future of Afghanistan. They will remain businessmen and political leaders connected to global economic processes and networks. They will develop the military power that they need to control territory and wage war. They will finally continue to fight for more autonomy and in some cases might even manage to partially form their old re regional polities once again, said Roman Malajak, author of a book on Afghan warlords. Afghanistan's availability as a sanctuary for terrorists is, to say the least, related to its status as a warlord-ridden wasteland, said journalist and author Graham Wood. The Taliban's refusal to expel militants not only complicates the group's efforts to garner legitimacy in the international community, and particularly its neighbors, even if al-Qaeda has been significantly weakened since 9-11 and is less focused on attacking the United States and more on the Muslim world. It also strengthens those who fear that Afghanistan will again emerge as a launching pad for transnational political violence. We are going to go back to a pre-9-11 state and a breeding ground for terrorism, warned Michael McCall, the ranking Republican member of the U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee. The Taliban will not restrict terrorist groups. Just ask them to operate low-key, added Douglas L London, a former head of CIA counterterrorism operations for South and Southwest Asia. The Taliban proved already 20 years ago that they valued loyalty when they rejected U.S. and Saudi pressure to hand over Osama bin Laden, no matter the cost. The Taliban have since come to appreciate al-Qaeda's fighting skills and contributions to the Afghan militants' cause. Taliban fighters this week, in a violation of their pledge to inclusiveness, demonstrated their ideological anti-Shiite affinity with Al-Qaeda by blowing up a statue of Abu Abdul Ali Mazari, a Shiite Hazara militia leader killed by the Taliban when they first took power in 1996. Thank you for joining me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. A written version of this podcast is on my blog 
the turbulent world of Middle East soccer at MideastSoccer.blogspot.com. Please join me for my next podcast in the coming days. All the best and take care.